Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. Um, I'm Kate Moore Youssef, I'm your host, and today I have Dr. Fiona Peters. Um, I'm so interested to speak to um, Dr. Fiona because she has such an incredibly diverse background, she's got lived experience of ADHD and seeing it how it manifests in herself, but also family members and um, I guess the wider society. And I know that um, she was diagnosed in her 50s after um, confusing lots of different symptoms with the menopause and all the hormonal fluctuations, which we hear so often. Um, And it's just lovely to have you here. And I'm really happy to be able to um, share your story in in the hope that it might help build more awareness for other women who are debating whether it's worth them getting a diagnosis in their 50s. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, morning, Kate. Thanks for having me on your podcast, which is a really important platform for women who are concerned about well-being and wanting to improve their overall health. So, yeah, hopefully I'll share some sort of valuable ideas and tips from my own experience and make a difference. That's the point, isn't it? Oh, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being here to tell your story. And to be able to really maybe help other women navigate the difficulties of having this self-realization and self-acceptance later on in life. And I truly believe it's never too late to get a diagnosis and to have that understanding so we can move forwards. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story because you were sort of telling me before that there was... um, lots of different roads and confusion and regret and all sorts of things that you have had to navigate until you got to this understanding of ADHD. So perhaps you can give us a very sort of abridged version of what led you to getting your diagnosis in your 50s and what that diagnosis has done for you. Mm. So what led me to it was I was working in a school at the time and I had started a PGCE, a postgraduate certificate in education. And I found the school environment to be really overstimulating. All of my sensory issues were highlighted, the smells, the lights, the noise, the the bell that goes off every 50 minutes to tell you you're moving from lesson to lesson. I found the staff room completely overwhelming. And I remember being in a very small room where you could fit one desk and one chair. And that being the place where I could find some quiet and some peace. And I just realised that actually what I was doing was there was just something wrong about it. And I felt that was a theme of my life, like there's actually just something wrong with me. And this had been a constant soundtrack, I suppose, like what is wrong with me? Why can't I just dot, dot, dot? So I went to the GP and initially he suggested because of my age, it was the menopause. And then when we started to dig a bit further, 
I realized that a lot of the symptoms I had had always been there. It's just that they were heightened at this particular point in my life. I think I must have been 52, 51, 52. And I began to sort of Google, as you do, the things that had really triggered me. Came across this thing called ADHD, which I had really associated with kids being medicated. And so I didn't realize that actually women could have it or adults could have it and that it was heritable and that you didn't outgrow it and there was no cure. And it was something that I'd always admired as an identity because those children were often the children that were bouncing off the walls or they were very creative or they weren't the best students or not great listeners or didn't really follow rules. And I could see a lot of myself in those kids. And so I'd always felt that ADHD meds for kids was a a kind of wrong route, really, that there was something in these kids that was really creative and sparky. Um, And that was all I knew about ADHD. I thought it was very much a childhood condition. Um, And then I began to dig a bit further into my symptoms. And when I listed my symptoms and put them into Google, I found that ADHD came up multiple times. And I approached my GP again um, after having taken a couple of weeks off work at home and asked whether or not I could be referred referred for a diagnosis. And um, long story short, I got my diagnosis and I was relieved. I was was relieved, but I also spent maybe two years just really upset about all the wasted opportunities and the, the careers, the professions, the opportunities, the friendships, the relationships. You know, all the things that ADHD makes you do that are shameful and, and things that, you know, you, you're not in control of. I wasn't in control of myself or my emotions. And the more I learn about ADHD and the more I speak about it, the more I realise that really it's not about kids and bouncing off walls. It's about emotions and it's about dysregulation. And it's about not being able to manage what feels like overwhelming feelings. and so. The more I began to learn about that side of things beyond the sensory and beyond the scattered and beyond the organized or disorganized, the more I began to be a bit more forgiving. And then things have just slowly, very, very slowly. I'm still in that process now. Very, very slowly. I'm beginning to feel that actually I'm worthy of forgiveness and I'm worthy of self-acceptance. And that's my overall kind of foundation now is that you know, I make mistakes, I'm human, I'm always learning, and I can forgive myself for the things that I didn't do that were in alignment with who I really wanted to be, um, and who I want to be now, and I still make mistakes, and, you know, I still berate myself for things, but ultimately, um, I have a higher level of self-worth, because I've begun to accept the ugly parts of myself, or the shameful parts, and those are the parts that actually make me more creative, more empathetic, kinder more generous and more loving so I'm trying to work with that side of myself a lot more um I know you asked for the abridged version but that's like I don't do abridged I just do the version (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know whether that was abridged or not but it's the story um no and it's and it's good to have that context and you know what it's what's interesting is that you were sort of um saying that now you can understand you can understand where all the different things maybe went wrong where there was shame there were failures and breakdowns and i think when we get an adhd diagnosis it's not like a hall pass to be a dick it's the only way i can describe it it's it's an understanding of how we can 
evolve and develop as humans and where we can give ourselves compassion and where we can give ourselves forgiveness, but where we can also learn, okay, like that's what went wrong in the past. This is why, this is because I struggle with emotional dysregulation. I struggle with impulsivity. So how can I work on that? Like, what do I have? What tools and strategies can I now implement because I have an understanding of my brain? And so I like to be able to help people move out of that victim-like mentality of why me? Why does it always happen to me? This cycle, this sort of constant self-sabotage and empower people with, okay, this is what we're working with. This is the situation, right? How How can we make the best out of it? And we understand, we know that we have amazing, um, you know, ways of using our brain, but there's also, you know, blocks. And so what's interesting I'm hearing from you is that you've noticed where these blocks were, but maybe you had a lifetime of being blindsided to them or not understanding them for what they were or thinking there was a problem with you and maybe willpower, discipline. Is that kind of where you were? You just kept going back to, well, and something needs to change. There's something wrong with me, but I, I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I really like, I really thought that my ADHD was trauma. I really did. I really did. Because if you listen to someone or read someone like Gabor Mate, who talks about ADHD, he says that, you know, trauma and ADHD are very aligned. They display the similar symptoms. And I tried to therapize myself out of my ADHD. I was constantly seeking and constantly wanting to fix myself. And I remember being a teenager and saying, I just want to be ordinary. I just want to be normal. I literally could not understand why socially I was out of step, why academically I was bright, but I could never deliver, why professionally I was jumping in and out of careers, relationships, I couldn't make them last. I was either obsessed or disinterested. And I just used to think there is just, I'm just traumatized. I had a difficult childhood and the things that I went through would leave an indelible mark of trauma. And so I just believed that if I had enough therapy and if I did enough meditation and yoga, and if I fixed myself, that actually the trauma would go away and I would then become normal. So I've spent the best part of my life trying to fix something that's not curable and what a bloody waste of time what a complete waste of time in some ways for me personally I'm never going to fix my ADHD however it doesn't enable me to really have a deep understanding of the journey that other people go through when they think there's something inherently wrong with them and I think that's a commonality of people with ADHD what's wrong with me why can't I just dot 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 keep a relationship, hold down a job, you know, organize my house, sort out the clutter, parent my kids, like all the all the challenges of modern life that present us. And instead of us trying to deal with them, we're trying to fix ourselves. What a waste of time. We don't need fixing. We do not need fixing. So it drives me absolutely insane when I hear people wanting hacks for life, when I just think you don't need to fix your life. Your life accept your life as it is, accept it as it is, and try every day to do one small thing that will move you forward, that will make you feel as though you're you're slowly and gradually becoming a little less victim to your 
symptoms and to the consequences of that and a bit more accountability for the crap things that you end up doing because you're dysregulated but actually forgiving yourself at the end of every day for not having done things in an ideal or perfect way so it's yeah yeah I mean I totally get what you're saying but when you say that it was a waste of time to do all the yoga the meditation and the therapy you know do you not look back at that and think that was my way of coping and perhaps what could have happened if I didn't embrace those holistic kind of practices because you know for me I find those like a bit of a lifeline still and I know about ADHD but I think to have the awareness and the knowledge is is key above that and I think that's what maybe you're alluding to is that while we're doing the yoga the meditation and the therapy and all of that we're still going well, why is it not working? Well, why is it not working? So it's kind of like you were missing the other part of the formula to get the answer. But essentially, you were doing the right things, but just had something missing. Does that feel like maybe intrinsically and intuitively, you knew that you needed something to calm the nervous system and the brain and the body, so you could regulate yourself? Yeah, my intuition is very strong. I don't always listen to it. And I think that was the issue mm. is that I was listening to what society told me I ought to be doing, or how I ought to perform at work, how I ought to be in a relationship, how I ought to manage my career or how I ought to manage my friendships and my social life. And intuitively, I, I kind of realised that the, the yoga and the meditation, which I'm still rubbish at, were things that would ultimately give me some sort of balance and something to cling on to in order that I didn't feel so dysregulated and so so lost. What I think was a waste of time was the reason that I was doing those things is because I thought that I should be able to. And underneath that, there's criticism. You're not able to. What's wrong with you? And I think yoga and meditation and all those holistic practices are fantastic if the intention that you're going towards them with is to balance your nervous system, is to calm your mind, and is to create space for yourself for self-acceptance and self-worth. However, when you go to those therapies like I did, nothing really works. Because you're going there with self-criticism, you're going there with competition, you're going there with trying to prove that you're as good as everybody else. And so the, the message of the yoga was and meditation was lost on me for a very long time. And I treated it like I would any other aspect of my life, something to prove that I was quote unquote normal. And so that's why I feel it was a waste of time, because it wasn't really driven by uh, a desire and an intention to create the things that yoga and meditation create for you internally and externally. It was just creating more of the same. And if I couldn't do a pose, there was something wrong. If I couldn't sit for 10 minutes, there was something wrong. So the underpinning of it was about self-criticism and lack of acceptance. So for me, you know, the time wasted in terms of berating myself, I, can, I can't get back. I'm very aware of those behaviours now because I don't think anyone ought to be criticising themselves and saying, well, there's something intrinsically inherently, inherently wrong about you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what comes to mind for you when you, when, you, know, you were saying the words, you know, um, feeling like an outsider, that you always needed fixing. You're now a doctor with a PhD and you've said you've got different incarnations of your career 
is there a part of you now that sort of sees this as, and then you celebrate this and you celebrate, you know, your divergent brain, your curiosity, your desire for learning and growing. Was that ever celebrated? Um, and I guess what, at what point have you kind of turned around and said, okay, this is, this is me and it's never going to change. Yeah. I don't even know whether I've, I'm there yet, Kate, to be honest. I think I'm definitely a work in progress. I don't think I've arrived at any destination. I'm journeying through life. My neurodivergent brain has been an ally, but it's also been my worst enemy. At this point in my life, all I'm really focused on is getting to know it, getting to know it and respecting it um, and allowing it to express itself because there are so many sort of unfinished projects in me or projects that I haven't yet started. So it's about now picking up, where, where am I at now? Not going back to the past and thinking, right, now I'm going to finish that. But what do I want to pursue for its own sake? And when is it okay to say, I'm done with that, even though it's not finished? Is that ever okay? Do we have to finish everything we start? Not everything has to become something. Not every idea you have needs to be followed through. And in fact, most of them are, are not worthy of following through. And what most of them are not worthy of you and what you can really bring. And I think sometimes you can follow through ideas and that's not really for you. That's not really who you are or what you want. So I think the impulsivity is um, great in some senses, but actually it can lead to burnout, but it can also lead to feelings of failure because you've jumped on something too quickly, impulsively or you've jumped on a bandwagon of an identity and you're now creating your own identity around it. So when you lose interest in that, it leaves you thinking, well, who am I? And actually the work to, to be done is about front loading who you are and saying, right, who really do I want to show up as in the world? What are my values? What do I think is really important? And being from that place, and with the ideas, I think blogging is a great way or journaling is a great way just to explore your ideas and explore what's, what's rattling around in your head in order to see what your values are and in order to recognise who you are without all the past regret and the past failure. Um, and before putting yourself out in the world in any significant way with a kind of identity, it's really important to hone in and say, right, well, what does that what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What do I want? What brings me that level of satisfaction? Where do I get that personal growth from? Where can I, where can I transform? Because those are the things that actually every human is, is looking for. Um, this idea of self-actualization, of expressing ourselves. Mm, interesting. It's a really interesting conversation and perspective. And I agree with you. I think we're navigating these all these new areas and we're sort of kind of almost like the guinea pigs in this. And as women who are being sort of diagnosed in our 40s and 50s and 60s, it's kind of like we've lived one life and now it's like, oh, actually you can live a different way, but how do you want that to be? And do I have to follow a different type of manual now? You know, I've been trying to follow one manual, but maybe that manual's not right and that manual's not right. And it's now about this like you say, this self-actualization, which can feel also very difficult because we are purpose-driven and passion-driven. You know, some of us just can't live a life that isn't purpose-driven 
and we have to be of service. It's, it's a calling. It's like a visceral need to live a life with more depth and more authenticity, which sometimes doesn't correlate to the real world. And I and I see that and I and I understand this heartache for a lot of people because there's mortgages, there's food, there's kids, there's, you know, all the things that we have to do to put food on the table for our children. But then we kind of don't operate in a way that other people can, they can just do that grind, that nine to five grind and just deal with it. I mean, what what drove you to go and do this academic side, this the PhD? And how old were you? And was this before, during or after your ADHD? Oh, everything I've really done in life has been before ADHD. Because after ADHD, it's only been about four or five years. So, you know, and half of that's been spent getting my head around it and what it means to me. So why I did my PhD is for those very reasons, purpose, meaning, social justice, all the hallmarks of ADHD, obsessive special interests and a passion for writing and creativity and also a problem solver. So fairly typical ADHD brain give or take a few traits. And um, I wish I'd known that before I embarked on it, because before that, I had a great career in television. And I wanted to write. And maybe at the time, I was writing a lot of short stories, and I was going to writing classes, and life was good. And also in terms of feeling like an imposter in my TV job, which was hard, um, I felt like I didn't belong. And I thought that that studying and starting a master's would satisfy my love for deep learning and but also give me a break from what was becoming a really demanding career so I wanted to write and I saw a PhD program and I applied and before you knew it I was offered a place and I quit my job without a sabbatical something I still sort of look back on and think you know but I'm a big believer in once you you burn your bridges you make your choice and then you you go with it um I'm not a b plan maker either I have one plan and I go with the plan so I started my but I had two daughters who both of whom had just started secondary school um so one was about 11 one was about 13 and I was interested in mixed race identity my own background is mixed. My mum was from the Caribbean and my dad from half Swedish, half Irish. And I grew up in London. And because of the generation I'm in, my mum was part of the Windrush generation. And there are only two or three other mixed families where I lived. And I became obsessed with identity, just completely obsessed with mixedness and began to want to write about it and to write about it from the perspective of lived experience. And then I came across statistics around mixed race children in the care system and realized that they were two and a half times more likely to be in care than any other ethnic identity and began to explore, well, why is that? And wanted to answer that question. So I went about creating a research project to speak to young people of mixed heritage in care and, um, published my findings in my PhD and later a book and that was passion because doing a PhD is not easy so you know I dug deep for that for that PhD inside of myself as well uh, because 
that experience is very close to my own childhood experience. And so my PhD was very personal as well as very political. And once I did my PhD, I then began training organisations and teachers and social workers and students on social work courses. Why mixed race as a classification was more important than they were deeming it to be and how to go about foster placements when you've got mixed race children presenting for care and educating, really sharing knowledge, sharing new knowledge that had been created. There was nothing at the time that had done a study of this type, so it was very new. Um, and then I was approached by Palgrave Macmillan to publish a book, which I did, which I'm really proud of. And I began, I still was doing that until probably just before lockdown, when most of my work as a consultant trainer disappeared overnight. Um, I wasn't making particularly good money. I was working in public sector, but um, I had a property business that I was running. I bought some buy-to-lets, and so I was a landlord, so I was doing that as well. Um, and luckily, that was a sort of steady income stream. Um, so that was my kind of PhD journey. I also had two more kids while I was doing my PhD, so I had two lots of maternity leave. So I've got four children. So, you know, this is a fairly busy, committed, engaged, purpose-driven life. And people yeah. would look at me and say, oh my God, how do you do it? And I think, I don't really know. <laughs> it's the answer. Mm. I don't really know. Yeah. But it just feels to me, it feels natural. I relate so much. And I think what you have done and did and through all that research, I mean, it's fascinating and I'd love to hear the findings. And, you know, that is is key because this is your personal stories, your heritage. And then you're realizing that through what you've done and you can, what you've studied, how you can disseminate that to the wider cause and being fulfilled. I see the connection between ADHD and success when you are being fulfilled, when you're operating on that sort of purpose-driven, you're busy. Yes, you're sort of teetering on the edge of maybe like exhaustion, continual exhaustion. <laughs> You're being fulfilled from, you know, family perspective, from kids and love and connection, but also, you know, your your brain, your that curiosity, that desire to learn is is there. And it's when I see people who say, um, I don't have anything in my life that is fulfilling me. I know I've got more. I'm not fulfilling my purpose. I know that I have more to give and I don't know how to give or I couldn't um, succeed academically and so I feel worthless. That is when I see people sort of in the depths of their depression with with ADHD. When And then the minute they, they see that worth within themselves, they're doing something that they go, oh, this is feeling a bit effortless. This is feeling very easy. And they're questioning themselves, but actually they're, what they're doing is they're stepping into their their authentic power, which we all have, but sometimes we don't know these strengths until we take a bit of time just to sit and kind of go, okay. And the fact that you did this, you did a PhD, then you wrote a book and you say it so whimsically, <laughs> like I'm like, oh my God. And the amount of lives that you've probably changed from that and touched and hopefully you've created and spearheaded more public policy change is something to be celebrated. I mean, what's your plan now, now that you've ticked those boxes? Mm. Are you still working in that area? Do you have aspirations to, to do more? Um, I'd love to hear. Yeah, it's interesting. I really, um, 
I totally agree with what you say about ADHD and success equals fulfillment. It's not material wealth. It's not, it's not stuff. That's not what we crave. That's not how we feel alive. Very few people do feel alive through material wealth. We feel alive through experiencing a sense of fulfillment. And success has become this sort of word that we we think is um, to do with what we can show we have. But it's it's more of an end result. I feel successful if I get out on time to walk my dog. I feel successful if she comes back onto the lead when I call her the first time. Like... These little tiny wins are ways to sort of build ourselves anew. And and I think sometimes we think success looks big and shiny with awards or published books or like grand gestures. And it's it's not often. My my book, I didn't celebrate my book for two years. I didn't launch. I didn't have a party. I couldn't celebrate myself. So even though from the outside I published a book, I, I couldn't celebrate it because I was so in the grips of it's not good enough. I didn't feel fulfilled. My PhD, same thing. It was an anticlimax. I was on to the next thing. Um, so I think I love what you say about ADHD and success being about fulfillment. I've written that down. And I think that's so, so true for most people, ADHD or not. It's just that success has be- become this sort of dirty word associated with materiality and showy sort of examples of what you've achieved and really it's an inner feeling so for me now what does success look like it does actually feel like striving to still have passion for what I'm doing I don't work in that field anymore that there is less demand despite a growing population of mixed race children and I still do training and I still do consultancy. So I, I go into schools and I work with schools looking at their racial inclusion policy and practice. I also work with organisations. Again, it's about learning and sharing knowledge. So I work with organisations who want to improve their inclusive workplace policy and practice. And that's mostly around neurodiversity. So neurodiversity in the workplace. And I work with individuals who want mentoring around how to be more successful in their business when you have ADHD. So, again, those the tenets that I use are about self-worth, self-acceptance, being paid what you're worth, you know, because often we don't value our businesses or we we think what we do is easy. And then we don't charge enough for what we're doing. And we still got to work another job or we still got to have another job that pays us or another business. So it's for me, it's really about just I remember this. There's a phrase and it goes, um, don't follow your passion. Take your passion with you. And I'm a person that's that's passionate about life and about equality and about people feeling like they're on the right path for them at that moment. And that might change, but let's not get attached to one thing. Let's just be fluid and organic and intuitive and allow ourselves to be creative in how we show up. So for me at the moment, it's all about ADHD and and I'm on my own learning journey as well as supporting others with their own neurodivergent challenges and, and allowing conversations to happen 
around self-worth and self-acceptance. And that's where I really feel connected to people when I speak to them one to one. And then for my group training, organisations and schools, I love public speaking. I feel on fire when I speak in public. And finally, I'm actually being paid enough to do that work. So I feel there's alignment. But yeah, I've got I've got this entrepreneurial life, which I'm totally embracing. For years, I was always knew I was an entrepreneur. I wouldn't allow myself to be because I wanted to be ordinary, wanted to be normal. And so I'd keep going into jobs all the time. And I, I haven't looked at a job for probably over a year now because I know that the lifestyle doesn't work for me. Um, so, you know, I feel like some days I'm not being successful yet. For sure, definitely. Yesterday being a day when I felt like this is not success. <laughs> this does not look like success. This looked like struggle and complexity and way beyond anything that I really want to deal with. So I've got some changes to make. I've got some tweaks. I've got some adjustments. I've got to realign. And I think we started the conversation around, you know, I'm trying to become less complex in my working life and in my personal life. So that's something where we're a work in progress. We are. We are. We really are. And and the fact that you're being intentional about that um, and recognising, because we can't fix everything all in one go. And I think you're right, simplification for all of us is vital. I mean, I love the idea that you do mentoring, you do these one-to-ones. You know, if someone's listening to you right now and that you're really speaking their language, how can they get in touch? How do you work? Yeah, I love face-to-face. So I love face-to-face training with organisations. If someone from an organisation wants to get in touch, my website's probably the best place. And there I've, I've sort of outlined the methodology that I use and how I like working with groups of people. So that's just my name, Dr. Fiona Peters. If you type that into Google, my website should come up. On there, you can book a call, the free call for half an hour, and we can chat about whatever it is that your current uh, challenge is. And it's often a challenge and I'm a problem solver. And I mentor and I I like mentoring because it's kind of it's more direct and I'm a straightforward person and I like direct conversation and I say it how I see it. And so I don't I don't walk around or skirt around an issue. I don't want people coming to me every week for months and months. I just like a one off or three sessions ad hoc with people so that they can get to the root of an issue. And then supporting them as they work through the knots and the tangles and the challenges of that. So that's the website. And then if people want an online platform, I live in London. So if people want an online platform, I've got a few people from the US and Canada. So I've got a Facebook group. There's a lot of engagement on there around ADHD. It's called ADHD Entrepreneur's Life. So it's all about running your own business with ADHD and how um, we can support each other. And Patreon is my new platform where I am developing um, still work in progress again. But there are lots of resources on there, primarily worksheets that I've created to help people get to the root of what their values are, what makes them healthy, um, diet, exercise, a little bit about brain chemistry, how the ADHD brain works, how to feed your brain, how to value and respect it. Um, a little bit around relationships so that people are becoming more informed 
and that's I think that's six pounds a month and you get access to all the worksheets and the videos that are on the platform. I haven't launched that yet, but people can join. That's everything. Um, and I do property. So, you know, if, if someone wants to find me about property stuff, they can. Uh, an entrepreneur who does property would be fab. Yeah. I mean, listen, it sounds so valuable what you're offering and, you know, the mentoring, um, I think is incredible for ADHD. I genuinely believe that. I think that coaching, mentoring alongside, you know, medication or therapy and or whatever suits you with the lifestyle um, is a formula that can really revolutionize people's lives. I really do believe that. And taking accountability and self-leadership and finally, you know, doing what feels authentic to you without having to ask permission yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I, I think you you sound like an amazing mentor. I'm half tempted to get on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> I love a mentor. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really valuable. And so I'm going to make sure that you are, um, all the details are on the show Brilliant. notes of today's episode. Yeah. Um, and thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story, your insights. And also showing everybody that we are work in progress and that we have days where we do feel like we aren't the success that we portray. And we have those days where we kind of question ourselves because it is, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but like you said at the beginning, we just keep putting one foot in front of the other and we just keep making those small changes. And we look back in two or three years and we go, wow, okay. I have actually done something quite big. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, so thank you, if you, if you watch, you know, I love a garden. I love a garden sort of metaphor, analogy, whatever it is. And I can never remember, but you never see a plant grow, do you? But they grow nonetheless. And sometimes you can't see your growth and you can't see your progress, but it doesn't mean you're not growing. <laughs> what you don't do is start digging your plants up to check that they're growing which is the equivalent of criticism and blame. So, you know, if you plant your seed, nurture and water yourself, your ideas, and you will grow. We're all growing all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. Um, so just, yeah, bringing that self-awareness and appreciation and self-worth and acceptance, those are the keys, really the foundation. So, yeah. But thank you, Kate. I think that was a, a lovely conversation. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and it resonated with you, I would absolutely love it if you could share on your platforms or maybe leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do check out my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk for lots of free resources and paid for workshops. I'm uploading new things all the time and I would absolutely love to see you there. Take care and see you for the next episode.